Welcome to the Fifth Year Podcast. Clint Maxey, our producer, is here and is always hosted by Zach Ruley and yours truly, Parker Biggs. Uh, excited to talk college football like we always do. I mean, we are a college football podcast, but also some uh, fun non-college football stuff to talk about now that we're in the offseason. Uh, we're going to talk uh, some NBA, some golf, some college hoops, uh, and then get into a few fan questions as well. So let's just kind of hop right in uh, in the general world of sports and talk some all-star game. Uh, the game was really exciting. The weekend as a whole had some mixed results. Really, Clint, any uh, any thoughts from All-Star Weekend? It was, for me personally, I thought it was really cool to see Giddy and Cade on the same team for the skills thing. Yeah. Um, just as an OSU guy and a Thunder guy, obviously. Um, dunk contest was a snooze fest, which is unfortunate. Uh, OB Toppin was my pick going in, though. I I have loved OB Toppin since um, his days at Dayton, which weren't that long ago. But yeah, he's he's a freak. But it pretty boring one. It was like I think Jalen Green's like first round. He missed like the first like four dunks. It was just like he had to put something in the hoop. So um, got to confess, didn't watch much of the game. I did go back and watch, however, the NBA 75th anniversary stuff. Really, really cool. Um, Michael was getting a lot of flack, and I'm an MJ guy, so. Michael was getting a lot of shit for not showing up because he was at the Daytona 500, literally watching his like millions of dollars compete in the event. Gets on a jet, makes it, and he just immediately starts shit talking everybody at the event, <laughs> just like walking around like he was the guy. And like everybody was just sitting there taking it. Like you have to. It's Michael Jordan. Um, underrated, cool moment. Actually, not underrated at all. Him and LeBron kind of embracing and sharing a moment, which like fans, including myself, have turn that debate into just it's just so toxic on both sides that you've painted a picture in your head that they hate each other when clearly that's not the case like um they they seem like they're not like best friends but they're they're good buddies and they do have an admiration and respect for one another so i thought that was probably the coolest moment of the whole thing yeah i i agree that was cool i <clears throat> i didn't watch much of the game either i saw some highlights i saw steph had 16 threes yeah, that's Which insane. Is, I don't care if that's a was, practice game or whatever. Yeah, but. he was like pulling up from midcourt, literally. So Which actually it, is entertaining to watch in a weird yeah. way. Just like how many yeah. threes can this guy hit? Something about like so, Parker. Did you watch all of it? I uh, I had it on for the whole game. I was was kind it of still just a non-defense competition? Correct until the fourth quarter. So the fourth quarter now kind of ramps up because they have that final score that number they're trying to get to so they do play the elim ending they do do that yeah like what the basketball term which i think is what they sh- you absolutely should do that in the all-star game yeah no doubt it's the only way to make at least part of the game like the fourth quarter was was a lot of fun uh first three quarters not so much it was cool watching steph drain all those yep. threes um the ending was great the lebron game winner do you count that as a game winner <laughs> like a legit game winner no, not I mean, he hit it. It's, it's a different. I mean, it's cool. It was a good, cool, important shot, but I don't really look at it as the same. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, but did it was you, cool. What did you guys think of his his comments? You know, LeBron shouted out Sam Presti in the Thunder. Do you think he's? You know, I think we have seven picks the year Bronny's eligible for the draft. What year so, is that, by the way? Twenty twenty four or three, maybe. He's a junior Four. in high school right now, so whatever that means. Um, 24. 
I do wonder though, because I mean, Brownie's a junior in high school. I'm not going to bash a high school kid, but I do wonder how like how talented he actually is. So I don't know if LeBron would make his son essentially go to a school and then declare for the draft when he's not ready, play one season with him, and then just retire like screwing his kid over. Like, I don't know if his kid right now at this moment, you could say, Hey, in three years, he'll be a first round pick or something like that. Right. Right. He might be a kid that could use. He would yeah, like develop. Yeah, exactly. He's not a, he's not a freak of nature. Like his dad. If LeVar Ball can get LiAngelo Ball in the league, I think LeBron can get this in the league. (laughs) No, he'll, he'll get him in the league easy. Some team like the magic or somebody dumb will draft. Which I guess if you're trying to make money, if you're one of those owners that just wants cash and not wins, like think of the one-year ticket sales and jersey sales. You get Braun and Bronny on the same squad. Like even yeah. if it's the Sacramento Kings, like who yeah. gives a shit? I think it's yeah. safe to say that it, LeBron said it so much that wherever Bronny gets drafted to, they're probably getting LeBron. So now it's just yeah, a at some point, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Also, underrated moment was Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett. Seemed oh, yeah. like they made up a little bit. Uh, but did oh, you really? see I saw the, the video- opposite? Yeah, did you see the video oh, really? where KG wouldn't look at Ray when he was walking by? Like LeBron, which is so him. fucking petty. I saw they. I okay. I I said what I said because I just saw the picture of them actually like acknowledging like their space, like they were in the same area and like staring at the same camera. Did not realize KG didn't even acknowledge his existence. That's wild. Yeah, no, kind of made K- like a. He was like curling his lip. Like, just yeah, he's like looking up real quick. Yeah. The the list has been out. Do you guys have any snubs that come to mind? I know, like I said, list has been out a while, but any snubs that come to mind that should have been on there, in your opinion? I saw someone uh, tweet this, but Kyrie not being on there is a little crazy. Yeah, that one that one's wild. Um, Russ wasn't on it yet, was he? Yeah, he was. Oh, he was on it. See, I think you have to be like people. It's a little bit of recency bias, like with him right now, as he's playing so bad and shooting like shit. So people ignore the fact that he's the all-time triple double leader. I think like Pau Gasol and Dwight Howard have like Dwight Howard was a beast. For him not to be on that list is kind of surprising. I do get you have to have the. It it wouldn't make sense to not have guy like the John Havlicek's and Bob Cousy's like you have to have those guys on the list like they were they played the first twenty five years in the NBA they were twenty five of the best players that's how it works yeah yeah no I agree I think you should represent because the game's just different like obviously exactly. different areas you can't they're apples and oranges two totally different but, things and then the ovation Mike got um, in a like, rival city too. Yeah, in LeBron City. That's what I liked about it. But they, somebody tweeted this, and I totally agree. And this, I'm done talking about it after this. The NBA has like the fraternity of of players, like vets. They do it better, and a lot of it is behind the scenes. But they also do a good job of when they need to publicize it. Like the the old vets and retired guys, the relationship they build with the young guys in the league is yeah. better than any other major um, sports league, in my opinion. Football kind of does it. Baseball is probably the worst about it, to be honest with you. But but basketball, you can tell how much respect the old guys have for the young guys and the young guys for the old. Yeah, yeah it is true. I also think there's a lot less of them, so they feel more connected. Like yeah, right. that's true. In NFL compared to 15 teams, 15 yep. players. <laughs> right. My final thoughts on the All-Star Weekend, um, I'm not a huge NBA guy like, I enjoy the NBA. I don't f- 
follow it like hardcore. So I can't like speak too much on the game or whatever, but um, the dunk contest, like that's like one thing that year after year I watch, like no matter, uh, no matter what, like whether I'm following like that season very closely or not. And it is just gone to shit. Like, yeah, it's horrible. Like, yeah, you, do, they, do they not the, care? I don't get it. Do they not care? What was I, the last good one we had? Aaron Gordon and Zach, Zach Levine. Levine. Was yeah. that probably four or five years ago at this point, though? It's been a while because Levine yeah. was on the on the Timberwolves at that point and Gordon the Magic. So it's tough. It's like you got to find guys that want to do it, too, is the problem. Like but Why you would think like what I don't get is even these kind of bums that are doing it, like – are they just not nearly as good of players and dunkers so they can't do it? Or do they just not care? Even the guys that aren't, the, because the other, like you think you, if, if you're not a good player, you would actually care because it brings, you know, it could bring you some nice attention and publicity. The other problem is you have to kind of reinvent the wheel on a lot of these dunks, which can make it way, way harder than it, than just throwing one down. Like nobody wants to see the same shit over and over again, obviously. So yeah. you're constantly trying to find like a somewhat, creative but challenging dunk and a lot of it's turned into like you saw cole anthony come out in the in the tims um and had his dad help him out just like kind of it it is a prop contest a little bit at this point but um if it's done the right way it still can be a good product but yeah saturday's was was pretty brutal from start to finish i heard i was well i had espn on in the background i was working uh the other day and i heard Stephen a mention uh, or Stephen a thinks we should bring uh new or bring totally like just people off the street, totally random people. No, I, and I'm all for that. Like too. he says a lot yeah. of dumb shit, but that's no. Not there's a, bad a guy idea. named uh, Jordan Kilgannon, I think is his name. This guy is like a if you have if anybody has time, go watch him on YouTube. He is a freak jumper, but he just he he's like like I said, reinventing all these new dunks that are pretty awesome to watch. So it'd be cool to watch him against these pros or like have a pro work with him and learn some of those dunks from him because they can probably jump higher than he can. Yeah, or you would I mean, think, but and they would go all in, you know. Exactly. <laughs> they've got nothing. Be their Super nothing Bowl. else to do. They don't have a NBA schedule to play. Um. Yeah. So uh, another last thing about the <clears throat> dunk contest, because I agree, and I've wondered that too. I think it takes some type of legendary dunker to make it good. When like Vince Carter and I mean Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, a little bit, they're kind of known for their dunking, but. It's hard just a random group of four that just, I don't know, it has gone so downhill, but it definitely does help when there's a signature dunker in the contest. Yeah, you just yeah, can't that, tell me yeah. that there aren't, like, NBA gets more and more athletic every year. That So, like, I, I just don't buy that there aren't good dunkers out there. Right. I'm just They're talking just, about, like, signature dunkers. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, NBA, which – yeah, I don't know. Even that. I mean, you think Jaw? Jaw's kind of that guy right now, and yeah, no, I don't know. Jaw needs to save the the dunk contest. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't want to do that. Right. All right. Any other last thoughts before we move into no. some some college football stuff? Nope. All right. Into some college football news. So, kind of the most uh, significant news of the last few weeks is that the college football playoff will not be expanding, uh, before the 2025 contract, uh, expires. So, uh, we will have, uh, four more seasons of a 14 playoff and then likely 
after that, it will switch over to an expanded playoff. And this is insane. This would have been, if it weren't for the SEC expansion news of the summer, this would have easily passed. We probably would be looking, yeah, we would yeah. be looking at a, uh, an expanded playoff, maybe not next season, but for the uh, 23 season. And uh, instead, we don't get that all because of pettiness in between conferences, right? these people like switch their votes like before the expansion talked it was like so last year at this time it was like yeah we want to expand we want to expand and then the sec stuff happens like no so stupid it's literally going to kill i say it's going to kill the pac-12 there someone else does but it just it's like it's so dumb for them to not even with supposedly being bad yeah it's like it's just dude come on right to me this also means that OU and Texas ain't going anywhere. The thought, like, there's, I, if I'm OU, there's no reason for me to rush over the SEC at this point now. Like, I don't want to compete with Bama and them until I have to, especially with a new coach coming in and trying to, like, build a new culture. I'm, fuck, fuck no, I'm not. Right. It's a perfect. I don't think I'm leaving for the upper, SEC anytime soon. It's a perfect buffer period to have going into the SEC. You know, take it up, yeah. let Venables get his guys in. You don't want to jump into that too early. That could be. No. That could set the pro- program back years if you jump in and suddenly you're not ready and you're go you got a couple what seven five seven and five years six and six years something like that I mean yeah yeah that could set program back years so yeah no I agree I don't really know I wonder I wonder if who knows what's going on behind the scenes if, yeah you know Joe C is talking all I mean always like working on something so maybe they do leave who knows yeah. But I definitely agree. It makes it more likely. Uh, I will say, I if the wheels were in motion for say some sort of twenty twenty three plan for them to leave, I don't know if they would if they would shift course if those conversations had happened already. You know, I yeah. Don't know. Who knows? Yeah. All behind closed doors, and Josie is really good about keeping things under wraps, so mm-hmm. probably won't know until it happens. Um. But yeah, I mean, this makes zero sense for the Pac-12 and the ACC. The, I think this shows that, the, I mean, the SEC is clear power number one, and they made that first big move. But this shows the strength of the Big Ten. The Big Ten is calling the shots and kind of running things, I think, for that alliance. I mean, because they, I think the two SEC Big Ten power is just going to continue to grow because, like I said, it just doesn't make sense for the Pac-12 or the ACC to not want expansion. Pac-12 needs it, like you said, uh, they have what I think five straight years without a playoff appearance, and the ACC is totally reliant on uh, Clemson. What's the, so. what's the ACC's angle? Is it like, I, does any of it, and I could be just so off base here, does any of it have to do with Notre Dame? Like, because they have the rights to Notre Dame should they join a conference, correct? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it has to do with Notre Dame. I know the ACC said what Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC, has said is that. Like, we don't want any more disruption in an already unstable college athletics world until mm-hmm. we have answers. And that's what he said. Who knows? There might be more to it, but that's been their stance is that they yeah. don't want for, further shake up like in these already. I mean, and there's something to that, right? But yeah, it's still, I mean, they're also missing out on money. They would have gotten, <laughs> like, that's why I don't get college athletics is hardly ever uh lacking greediness so a chance yeah. for like hundreds of millions more dollars and they say no all because of pettiness yeah 
stupid. Stupid, stupid. Okay, well, uh, into some other college football news. Mario Cristobal making another big hire. So they had the Gaddis hire for the offensive coordinator a few weeks back, and now he's bringing on former Texas head coach Charlie Strong, not as a coordinator, but as the linebackers coach. So Clemson, I mean, they, I mean, sorry, Miami, after years of not putting much into that program, uh, Cristobal has put together a big boy staff. So could this be the time? for like a, a shift in the ACC like Clemson had a tough year last year they're yeah. uncertain at QB I mean this is, could be an opportunity for Miami to make that move yeah uh, the window's definitely there especially with Florida State being down like that's because that's their big rival right and then they right. they're, they're not having to compete they're still competing for athletes in Florida with everybody in the SEC and then like literally anybody but at the same time Chris Ball's a Miami guy. He seems pretty passionate. I mean, it's we've we've said it before on the show. It's like that's a sleeping giant down there. So the strong Charlie Strong is a good football coach, regardless of what people think. Um, like that guy's a genius, and just adding one more brain like that to the coach's room definitely makes things a lot better. Right. I mean, it shows that they're willing to pay big money because Strong, I'm sure, is not just jumping for for any opportunity. So, I mean, top to bottom on that staff, they're, they're paying for the best of the best. So yeah, definitely a window there. Uh, I'm not ready to, to necessarily say Clemson's on a downward slide, but I mean, last year was obviously tough. They didn't get the QB play that they've had in recent years. And then you add in what losing Venables, who's been their best defense coordinator in the country for a decade, you lose, uh, uh scott their optic coordinator uh or elliot sorry tony elliot who left to be the head coach at virginia and he'd been uh a uh stable piece there for a long time they basically kept everything internal uh, made promotions from in from within so you've got totally unproven guys at both coordinator spots so um miami's making moves and just a lot of unknowns right now at clemson which we hadn't had so yeah, yeah, I think it is. Uh, I agree. I think it's uh, an opportunity is there for sure. This I wouldn't say necessarily call. Oh well, yeah, I would say call triple news too. Did you guys see what the Arizona State AD was saying about uh, the NIL deals? Yeah, and I, I kind of like agree with him in some. Like, I don't think that's like the worst move ever. It's kind of silly that he said like. He wants to develop players for the NFL because Arizona State's not like some factory for him. But yeah. it does make it makes sense to me when you think about it from this perspective. If a kid is deciding between, let's just say in this example, uh, Texas, um, Oklahoma State, and TCU, obviously Texas or OU, if you want to flip them in there, is going to be able to get this kid more NIL money. You would assume, right? Before the before the NIL stuff even happened, whether it was going on behind the scenes or not, this kid's probably leaning Texas anyway, you know, just because it's Texas. I don't think it's, like, going to hurt the small schools, but it's going to be pretty much – it ends up being about the same thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. In my opinion. And so what – so I don't know if I ever even mentioned this, but what he said, what the Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson said is that basically – their football program isn't expecting to be a heavy hitter when it comes to NIL deals. 
but they're like Ruli was talking about, they want to differentiate by developing players into NFL. And also he also said they don't want to be in an arms race on this NIL stuff. And I get that at a lot of schools, like at like like you said, like small schools, but Arizona State isn't. Arizona State's in Phoenix. There's yeah. a lot of good business opportunities there. It just seems like a weird thing that you don't have to say. Like people are gonna use that against you. Like right. you have to months. play ball, you have to play ball a little bit though. That's that's the other thing I'd written down. Like you can't just say, like, oh, we're not gonna worry about it. Like you have to worry about it. Like right, exactly. There have to be people that step up and help these kids and or I say help these kids and sign these kids and help the coaches because Herm Edwards does not seem like an NIL guy. No, like seems very anti-NIL to be quite honest with you. So um you can't have both the AD and the and the coach saying no. It's just going to drive, and that'll drive kids away from the play. Like Jaden Daniels transferring out, so yeah, I'm sure he'll get an opportunity somewhere, and he'll sign some endorsement deal, and that'll be that. But yeah, you yeah, might not like it, it, but you gotta, gotta do it. I was about to say it definitely does turn players off because Parker, like you were saying, at Arizona State, I mean, it's not a heavy hitter, and you almost wonder what that means because if you go to another school, I don't, I'm, it's kind of a bad example on like classes, but more more kind of focusing on that nil stuff i wonder the difference of arizona state what that means it is definitely definitely something that can go unsaid yeah that was odd and if it was anyone besides herm edwards i'm sure they would have been upset but like you said herm is old school and probably completely agrees with that i'm sure the ad wouldn't say something that the coach wouldn't want him to say i mean so it's got to be just a the way their program's looking at it. I mean, it's been turmoil at Arizona State, though, this offseason. Their whole staff's basically been let go because there's some recruiting violations. Their AD also, I saw, said that uh, the reason Herm's still there is because that he wasn't involved. It was just the it was just the assistants. Hey, this this yeah, I mean, the worst the worst feeling in the world's gotta be cheating at recruiting and still sucking. Yeah, this is a, yeah, this is a weird still stance. being shit. It's like, wow, we we've cheated our asses off and have nothing to show for it. That's what's got to hurt the most. Yeah, we're we're above the we're we're above the NIL stuff. We're not going to pay players, but we're just going to cheat in other ways. Gonna, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like wild. All right, that's college football wise really all we got. This is kind of like the right before spring ball, I feel like is the real lull once the the coaching carousel wraps up signing day is over. There's like this gap between early February and early mid March when there's just not I, too much I, going on. Yeah. I do have the most exciting news um, for me as an OSU fan was four star running back, uh, Ollie Gordon. Somehow, I don't know how it worked out, but he has enrolled at Oklahoma state this past week um, as an early enrollee and that's relevant because the running back room is, is a little depleted, but this kid's also six three two fifteen as a high schooler. So to get him in there into the weight room a semester early, essentially is, uh, how did he pretty enroll? exciting? How did he enroll last week? I don't know. I saw a tweet that said Oliver Gordon is on campus and he, um, has enrolled and I, I he must've just barely made the deadline. Maybe they were working some things out with the high school and, making sure he had all his credits, but they had a couple. And I think OSU had about 10 guys enroll early. I don't know what OU's number was at. Probably honestly similar to that, maybe more. I think but, it was like 11. I think it was right. Yeah, see, it's, it, it's, it, it's good to get guys in, especially at positions 
And I think those are the kind of kids, not to get on a tangent, those are the kind of kids you, like if a position group is, is a little lower, like depth wise, most of the time kids are smart enough nowadays to realize, Hey, I got to get in there as quick as I can. Yeah. You've got to, yeah. If you want to really play your freshman year, big time college football, you basically got to get that extra semester and get the spring ball in, get to know the play, the playbook, get in the weight room, physically catch up because I mean, yeah, you know, you're going against school, grown men. Right. Exactly. Like you, if you're coming off a spring of high school baseball or high school track, <laughs> that's not getting you ready for no. <laughs> to yeah. face, you know, a Baylor defensive lineman. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right, let's transition into some hoops. Uh, as usual, we're going to focus on the Big 12. I mean, seems like the cream has kind of ro- risen to the top and is really separating them- itself. Tech has uh, is rolling, blows out OU right after getting a big win at Texas in front of a lot of Raider fans in the Irwin Center. Uh, KU also rolling, 13-point uh, win at West Virginia, and then just put up. A show last night against K-State. Kick the shit out of K-State. Put up triple digits, one by 19, could have won by 40 probably. Uh, yeah, any uh, – really, what are your thoughts on this uh, last week of uh, Big 12 hoops? Yeah, like talking about the league schedule so far and how it's kind of – I mean, like you said, the best teams have started playing better and kind of proving they're the best teams. Like OU has been the opposite of that. They're kind of proving that – Maybe they like the beginning of the season when they went on that run, that wasn't totally them because exactly what we said they needed to do down the stretch, they've done the opposite. And they've lost what four in a row now. And the last two have not even been close. Right. So, and the competition. Yeah. That, I mean, even... Saturday's a must win. If they have any chance at all, they have to win out, which are very, yeah. these are all three very winnable games. Yeah, I didn't I realize think... this. OU is two and 11 in their last 13. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, that's not good. No. Yeah, they were a fringe top 25 team at that point. And then, I mean, yeah, I mean, they just don't – I think for a long time it was – I mean, they were right there and they were just losing those close games. And then those back-to-back games against Kansas and Texas just broke them. I mean, they just – they played two tough games. Yeah, they had two two two-point two losses and then two over 20-point losses. Right. And, like – that doesn't correlate when you lose by 20 to Iowa state after going into fog, losing by two and then beating and then losing by two to Texas. So like, clearly I think, you know, the team, I'm sure like they might say otherwise, but they hear the same stuff that everyone else is hearing, you know, that like see themselves slipping out of that conversation of being an NCAA tournament team. I'm sure. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard not to. Yeah. But yeah, they, I mean, they, like you said, they have to win their last three, which they're all three games they could win osu at home west virginia uh or oh yeah, uh, k-state yeah. on the road and then west virginia at home i think are the last three other way yeah you had it right the first time is osu saturday west virginia at home tuesday and then k-state next saturday to end it. so i mean i would say the ne- they'll be favored in the in the osu and west virginia games so if they could yeah. if they won those and then i mean they give themselves a shot in that k-state game they could I mean, I think if they win out and then win one in the conference tournament game, I think that does because they'd be playing like I think uh, like Iowa State maybe. Yeah, I mean, um, that would give that would give, that them, would like, give them a a really good shot. It'd give them like but, seven. It'd give them like 
that put him like seven quad one wins, which is a ton. Like it is a lot. Like they that would maybe be like like I would imagine there's a hit. Like I don't know if a team's ever won that many quad one wins without getting in. But then again, that's also under the assumption that they win these last three games. And if they play it all like they did the last two games, they'll get blown out in all three of these games. You know. Yeah, and another thing on the league, I mean, like. You look at Ken Palm, there's three Big 12 teams in the top six. Baylor, four, Kansas, five, Texas, Tech, six. And those three have definitely separated themselves as the three best teams. Like Tech at home, I think they'd beat anybody in the country if they got to play in United Supermarkets Arena for 40 minutes. That place? I don't know. It's it's nice, Jim. It's a horrible name, but that atmosphere is – it's a yeah. It's pretty Mark Adams has kept it there. rolling too. Also, did you see that the University of Texas like stopped this the sell or the selling of tickets for the game Saturday because yeah. so many Texas Tech fans are buying them that they they did not want the arena full of Tech fans. That is awesome. Tech fans are insane. Like those they're are crazy people. Not normal people at all. They're, they're very passionate about their basketball and they hate Chris Beard with a fucking passion. So it, it is entertaining. Did you see Chris Beard snap at it? I guess it was a while ago, but him that OU uh, kid? yapping at the OU kid. What did, uh, <laughs> what did he say to the OU kid? Was that ever disclosed? I think it was basically like, you don't know me. Like, don't like, basically don't come at me. You don't know me. Yeah, that's fair. Which was um, so weird. Yeah, I think he saw like the tame atmosphere and you know it wasn't like it in Lubbock where there's just people down his throat he knew he could go over there and not get his ass kicked that kid did kind of he cowered down real quick it's oh, a little yeah. different when it's a little different when the guy comes walking right at you like it's it's not scary but it's kind of like oh shit he's turned around it's funny when when beard uh walked away the guy the kid looks at his friend and just goes you can tell he goes okay <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, Texas, Texas got issues though too. I don't, um, I don't know how much I trust them going forward. They're playing way better as of late. Um, they're playing against TCU right now. I don't know what that score is, but uh, it's. I'm looking at it. They're down 35-30. Okay, so they're right in the thick of it. But they got a they got a brutal way to end their schedule too. They have TCU tonight at West Virginia Saturday, Baylor at home Monday, and then KU in Lawrence next Saturday, or. Yeah, next Saturday. Um, pretty brutal ender, but they're they're just playing for seeding at this point. Obviously, they're a tournament team. Um, one of their Trey Mitchell, one of their big men, actually, his dad took to Twitter to criticize Coach Beard recently and his uh, lack of rotation minutes for all the big men on the team. So, pretty interesting dynamic going on down there. The Big Twelve standings are weird to me. So you have the top four that we've re- referenced. And then the remaining six teams are all below 500. I think there's a lot of games between the bottom teams uh, here at the end. So I think there's a chance for a few to get up near and above 500. I mean, if TCU gets the win tonight, that put them at seven and seven. I mean, they're getting close to kind of locking up their spot. If they can get to eight or nine wins before the end of their nine wins, get you in. I would say for I would sure. love to see OSU somehow go nine and nine. Gonna have to beat OU Saturday, win in Ames next Wednesday, and then beat Tech at home to end the season. But 
It's not um, that Baylor game the other night was that was that was a brutal one to watch, man. I thought we had them a couple different times, but yeah, um, Baylor but, Baylor's good, man. They okay. got a lot of guys that can beat you. That insane circus shot at the end of regulation, I swear the shot clock was turned off for that possession. So he, the people at the game were going batshit. But one, I, I, at first I was mad too, and I was like, okay. But then I realized, like, oh, the shot clock must have never reset. The ball must have not hit the rim. And like it was clear as day, he won. He beat the game clock. Like obviously beat the game clock. And I don't think a lot of people realized in the gym that hey. They never reset it. Like something ha- – like he did not hit the rim apparently. But, um, yeah, that would have been the greatest shot of Isaac Likely's career. I'm, I'm really hard on that guy, but um, he played well down the stretch. He made a two-handed jump shot, which has only been done by him maybe four times ever. <laughs> uh, he – okay, this is a he wild – He took the final Isaac shot to, for the win. Too. He did. Yeah, yeah, pull up three. It was a great look. Um, <laughs> of, so he has like roughly – he broke the 1,000-point barrier. I think he might be there at – even like a thousand, even guess how many of his thousand career points have come off of a three pointer. Um, it's like, it's not like so low. You're like, Oh my God, but it's low. Like, uh, uh, 90, uh, 90. Clint, do you have a guess? 90 something. I don't know. 108. 54. 54 wow. of his points. 54 of a thousand that's 18, points. That's 18 threes in his career. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he's right? he's good at other yeah. stuff, I guess, but shit, man. Most important thing. And then, like, Baylor came out in a zone, which if you've watched any OSU basketball this year, you know we hate the zone. It is not – for a bad shooting team trying to get – like, to break one down is nearly impossible. And, like, the lineups weren't working very well. It is what it is. But Musa Cisse and Bryce Thompson have developed into legit pieces. Musa Cisse is really good at basketball. So hopefully he sticks around and same with Bryce and they might have a pretty good squad next year. Yeah. Thompson is really taking he's a bucket. Next up. Yeah. He's a bucket. He's that he's starting to look like the guy that I think everyone thought we'd get right out of high school. Yeah. He wasn't quite physically ready. And I think he's kind of He's a lot more confident this year, too, than he was at Kansas. I think last year at Kansas, at times, he might have played a little tight. Um, but now that he's – because he can kind of be the guy here. Like, he's he's the alpha. Like, they look to him. When they need a bucket, they go to him. So, um, that's got to be a good feeling to have, especially when you kind of struggled a little bit with injuries and stuff your freshman year. Yeah. Okay, last thing before we go into the fan questions here. Uh, how would you rate – the top three because i think you could go a number of ways i think it's kind of changed in the last two to three weeks the big 12's top three how would you rate them and most likely to win the national championship not right now so i really do like baylor because they're not healthy yet they are still missing guys they're missing two three guys a night and they're still going out and winning um i think kansas though is by default Using that same logic, since Baylor's not healthy, Kansas is playing the best ball right now. They're starting um, five, just ridiculous. Yeah, their defense is much improved. They have the Big Twelve Player of the Year on on the floor. Christian Braun is probably first team All Big Twelve. They, Brown. they, they Brown, Brown. Excuse me. I always do that to like mess with a buddy, but then it's like just happened naturally. Yeah. They could. They have an argument for legitimately three All Big Twelve players. Um, big da- when Dave McCormick is Dave Elijahwan, they can beat anybody in the country. But when he plays like shit. They typically play like shit. Um, Remy Martin 
I've I said it before he even got to Kansas. So like this is not a Kansas guy. He's not a Bill Self guard. No. Like he's been on a bad team his whole life, gotten meaningless points. Like he never right. made an NCAA tournament. And they're nine and one without him. They don't yeah. need him on the floor. No, they don't. So I would put I would say most likely to win the title, though, I would put Baylor ahead of Kansas. But best right now in the power rankings of those top three. Gotta go Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech. Yeah, like if we're Tech's based- offense scares me sometimes though. Yeah, like they, they can't shoot the three. Yeah, like, they can go on major droughts. They're, I mean, like, they're going to lock you down, but they can struggle offensively at times. Like, last night in the OU game, OU couldn't do anything to start the game. They had, like, nine turnovers in the first half of the first half, and we're still only down, like, four at the time because, I mean, Tech yeah. just wasn't scoring. They either. cannot score sometimes. Yeah. All right. Uh, any thoughts? Uh, any more college hoops thoughts? Big 12 or outside of that? No. Um, watch out for UConn, though. Yeah. It's not like a sexy take anymore because they're kind of starting to get some more recognition nationally, but big win over Villanova. Also, did you see how Hurley got tossed out of the game last night? I did. That was incredibly silly. I wonder – I didn't read more into what the dialogue was there, but um, clearly – It was the second I, I guess team. Was it just the sarcastic, like, pump up the crowd? I, I'm not sure. Like, I just know it was a second tee, and I don't know. It didn't look sarcastic. I didn't, I wasn't watching it at the time. I just saw the replay. He had a shit eating grin on his face when he did it, but like, yeah. I, I, what I think happened is I haven't even looked into it much, but I think he might have gotten a technical he and did. then just kind of, so like, yeah, and then he did it right after. And yeah, it was, it was just the sarcastic, which I think it's dumb. Just, I don't know. So dumb. Yeah. Yeah. College refs. College refs. They're, they're a joke. So, uh, exciting uh, tournament last weekend. Joaquin Neiman goes wire to wire at the Genesis against one of the best fields uh, of the season at one of the better courses uh, they'll see, especially for a non-major. I mean, that's they've held majors. So Riviera's an elite course, and he just freaking tore it up. Did, didn't need yep. to do anything special on Sunday. Basically just cruised. Uh, Morikawa tried to make it interesting, but uh, Neiman just, you know, was getting his pars, did what he needed to do. Uh, never really had to sweat it out too much. It was a, uh, really, really nice win for him. I mean, definitely the biggest win. I, I think cause he'd won before. Yeah. Like once or twice. Yeah. He's, uh, he's won one or two events. I think he, I mean, but nothing like this. This was a big, no, this win. is a giant win for him. Probably locks yeah. him up a president's cup spot as well for whatever that means to him and, um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it means a lot, honestly, because you know he didn't get to play in the Ryder Cup. But Chile has not had a like. I don't think. I think he's already probably the most accomplished Chilean golfer of all time. Yeah, and he's like. I'm pretty sure he's our age. He might be. He's 23. Yeah, he's younger. Yeah. He's 23. Good for him, man. Could have been me, but of course I'm not that good. So he's going to be good and relevant on tour for a long, long time. He's got a sexy swing. Now without. Do you have? I'll ask again, like I did last week. Do you have one play you want to give out so people? I've got my whole card. Do you, I got. Oh, the, you're gonna give the yeah, whole card? It's already out. So, uh, yeah. So I'll give the whole card. So, um, this is on the Big King Golf newsletter. Big King Golf is my buddy, and my picks are uh, my golf betting alliance is golf course beers. So just so for some reference here. Uh, and usually I only make like two to three plays a week, but I was going with a little bit longer, longer shots. And for the most part this year, so I made, have a bigger card than normal. My one favorite, um, I have a play on a big play in on is, uh, Daniel Berger. He is at, uh, 
plus 1600. He was number one or number two in my model that I ran. So like he fits the course really well. He's not super long off the tee and you don't need to be at this course. His approach numbers are insane and approach is always the most important stat, but it's more so than ever at this one. Uh, there's water everywhere and he's accurate. Like if you miss the fairways, you're going to end up in the water. So you don't want someone that sprays it all over the place. He doesn't. Uh, and the strength of his game is in that like mid iron, 150, 175 range, that 175 to 200 range too. And that's where he excels. Like that's his best uh, numbers. And then like, this is just pretty weak field. So he's a guy that's won four times. He's the most accomplished player in the field. So if it comes down to it and if he's in it, uh, I, I like his chances. Um, I'll briefly go through the other ones. We're going to play on Johnny Vegas at uh, 45 to one point uh, seven units on that one. Uh, he was fourth in my model. Uh, he's a longer hitter. He's got pretty good history here. Uh, has a couple of top 10 finishes at this tournament. So I like that one. Gary Woodland at 60 to one, same amount of money as I had on Johnny Vegas. These two guys are both bombers, which you don't need to be a bomber, but it definitely gives you some advantage, especially on the two par fives. And he's really good with his long irons. Um, so even if he doesn't hit his driver, uh, the strength of his approach game is with the long irons. So uh, it wouldn't be a huge disadvantage if he has to lay up some. Uh, Lucas Glover, I have it 75 to 1. Same amount as both those guys on him as well. Uh, he has the best strokes gained uh, numbers or history of anyone at this event. He's played this event a lot. He's only missed the cut a couple times. His history here goes back to 2005. Uh, I mean, and his, he's another guy that's really good with mid-long iron. So that's kind of – you're sensing a theme, that's it. Um, he had a uh, second-place finish here uh, in 2011, so maybe he'll, he'll break through and get a win here. And then my long shot, I have, like, literally $10 on this one, so not much at all, or less than that. I have $5 on it. But uh, Jason Duffner, Duff Daddy, at uh, 350 to 1. So he was 11th in my model, which was shocking. He, I'd hardly ever see him near there, but – He's another guy that strength is mid-iron play, which which is key. And he's also accurate off the tee. Um, and in his 13 start to this event, he's never missed the cut, which is wild because he's had pretty inconsistent career. So um, this is one part of his career that's been consistent. He makes the cut every year. He hasn't really competed. I think he only has one top 10. Um, but if you keep giving yourself a chance, maybe he'll finally find himself at the top of the leaderboard. Maybe, I don't know. But that's my, my card, so. Hopefully there's a winner. I've had one winner so far, so already, you know, a successful year uh, when it comes to outrights. But uh, hopefully we can get another one this week. And that is it. Do you have any any thoughts really on the golf? Small one. Small ones. First, right, I think he's like 25 to 1, 26 to 1. Did you say really Kepka? Weak you, you broke up for yeah. a second there. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, Kepka, whatever his odds are, weak, weak field like you mentioned. And then I also have Billy Horschel, uh, top 20. Okay. Horschel plays well in these floor in the floor swing. So, yeah. And he's been really playing, stuff. he's been playing okay lately. So, yeah. Um, maybe you can keep the, the good form going. R really quick, I do got to ask your thoughts on the Phil Mickelson stuff. He sounded like a total idiot. Uh, and yeah, his apology, yeah. and in my opinion, I think his apology made things way worse. Like the very I think his apology was for the Saudis, not so much. For what's the going on? PGA. I, I kind of know, but what's the what's the latest? So basically, he made. Did you see how he made the comment? 
like basically like when they had asked him, he said like, why would I play in the Saudi league? Like despite all these heinous, th- heinous yeah, things, like, the bad, Saudis, like, yeah. like p- kind of making light of what they do and like how horrible this, the Saudi, the history in Saudi Arabia is, mm-hmm. but then like, you know, got, and was there anything more on that part of it that I should mention? Like guys, like players were kind of like beaten down on Phil and he was yeah. Like, yeah. He was getting, like just run over a little bit by the, like and when like a guy like Rory's kind of like hey you sound stupid then like you should probably reel it in um but yeah then his apology yesterday was it was a whole lot of word salad actually in my opinion but like nothing of there was nothing of substance the most interesting tidbit to me or the two most interesting were he mentioned how the game of golf needs major change and that the Saudis can do that I think the game of golf's in a pretty good spot right now to be quite honest with you you have a lot of young stars that are making this game entertaining while you still have some influence from older guys that people like to watch. And two, he mentioned um, he needs to be better to the loved ones in his in his life and being a better man, something along those lines, which does make me curious. His wife wasn't at the PGA Championship last year when he won. Mm-hmm. Um, Golf Channel, if you watch them talk about it, they kind of allude to the same thing. So maybe there's – um, some behind the scenes family stuff going on that we don't know about, but at this point, if Phil wants to go over there and play, go over there and fucking play. Right. Be and done with it. Talking. I'm tired of Yeah. I'm tired of listening to this guy talk about this stuff. Like uh, yesterday, he definitely had his foot in his mouth a little bit, but I, I've had enough of it. If just go over there, say you want, say you want to make all that money. Like there's no problem. Yeah, do it. Like either just go or don't go. Like you don't need to talk about it. it's that thing. And I look like, I'm a Phil fan. I, I like Phil as a player. Like I've always liked him, but like his sticks kind of like when you're it's running not, its course. Yeah. Right, when you're not in a, when you're not one of the best in the world anymore, it just gets a little annoying. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right. Let's move on to fan questions. First one, I'll direct this to Parker. Uh, really, you can <clears throat> answer as well, but this one's from Chase and Norman is Porter Moser. The problem for OU. No, short answer, no. I don't think at all. I think Porter Moser is definitely the right guy for the job. Uh, I think he was dealt a tough hand. He inherited a team that had four returning players on the roster that were on last year's team, and three only three of them are actually contributors. Uh, it was a team last year that had Austin Reeves, Brady Manick, Davian Harmon. None of those guys are there, so all your scoring is gone. He takes over a team, brings in like seven transfers immediately, try, tries to patch it together for year one. You know, they've, they're like, they have some like okay pieces. Uh, and early in the season, they showed like they could do stuff, but like in the grind of the Big 12, they don't have what it takes. They don't have the size, they don't have anything. And you can't blame Porter Mosier for that. You know, he had what, few months to put together a, basically a full roster like that's impossible to do like right. you know if you're in the another conference you might be able to get away with it like this team could probably be a tournament team if you're playing in the acc or the sec or the big 10 but it's not the big 12 so i think he put together about as good as he could have at ou in year one um but no i think the future is really bright i think i mean if you look at what he did at Louisville, it took him a couple years to get going and once he did it just didn't stop so i think it's going to take maybe longer than people would like. Um, but fortunately, he's at OU and not Loyola, so he has better access to talent. I mean, his first recruiting class uh, is really good. You have two 
four-star American kids that are both top 115 recruits. And then like a kid from Germany who they're really, really excited about. So really, really good first recruiting class. Um, you know, if, you know, this time in two years, we're looking at the same thing, then you can start questioning Mosier. But no, I think it's way too early to start questioning that. In fact, I think the direction he has the program uh, is positive. Um, we haven't seen it on the court yet, but I think the overall energy around the program's greater than it was uh, in the final year of, of Long Kruger. So uh, I think good things are still to come for the OU basketball program. Yeah, I won't talk about it too much, but like you said, I mean, he was left with nothing. Like um, one guy, honestly, I think that would have made a huge impact this year for OU is Alondis Williams. Is that Dude, he is balling out? He leads the ACC in points per game. That guy couldn't crack the floor at OU last year. And we averaged six um, points. Yeah, so I mean, he's averaging almost twenty in the ACC. So kind of, mm-hmm. kind of crazy. But Porter Moser is a really good basketball coach. I like. I I don't. I don't watch as much of the Sooners as I must confess, but fan sports always been a little bit of an issue. We'd agree on that. Right. Yeah. In Norman, even like how many games you guys want to tell you, how many games did you go to in your college? I mean, you guys might be, I went to, I went to all the home. Okay. All the home most of them. Games. Cause I, I talked to people that were there. Well, like Trey young was, in, we were in school, Trey young. They they're like, yeah, I, I didn't go watch him. Like, dude, that yeah. should be, a, you, you should be making your week around that. Yeah, go watch yeah. a big Monday game against Kansas and Norman. Like that one's probably a bad example because that sells out. But he's got to get the fans involved too, which is easier said than done. But it, it sounds like fan support, especially from the students, has been a little bit better this year, which is good because they haven't been very good. So yeah, I know the student support in my in our, Clint, our four years. Well, freshman year was really good, just be, but we made the final four and we were like number one for good chunks of that year. So mm-hmm. that year was good, but besides that, yeah, student sport was horrible. It's our, bad. Our time there, and like despite the struggles, yeah, st- student support's up, and it's because he got out, you know, went to the fraternities to the sorority. Yeah, you got to go market a little bit. Coach like, Boynton does the same stuff. You have to go politic a little bit, kiss babies. But yeah. do you think students at OU don't show up? Is it they just don't care? Do you think because that arena you could walk to it, but could you really? Like, would you really no, want to do that? No. You wouldn't want to walk. It's. I think like it's gotten to the point where people are so negative about the Lloyd Noble center that like people, there's a little bit of like, uh, like why would I want to go watch a game? There's, there's a lot of factors. Like, you know, I don't mean to be harsh that to me, that is the worst gym in the conference. It is like, you would figure like a good, like a solid program. Like, Oh, you would be, would have a better aesthetically pleasing gym or just like, it's, it's a bad gym. I think, I think the Lloyd Noble center and then also the Farrell center at Baylor are probably t- the two worst Big 12 gyms. Well, and, Bay- and Baylor's changing that. Bay- Baylor's They're, about yeah. to upgrade with a million dollar for a couple million dollar facility on the on the Brazos, and it's well, going to be. See- um, I think it's really small. It's like it seats like seven thousand. Yeah, so kind of like Moody Coliseum type size, but it's going to be a really cool venue. Did you see Mosier's comment? He was asked about um, about whether OU needs a new basketball if basketball arena, and he said, "Yes, we do." Like he'll go into more details after the season, but he thinks it's definitely definitely necessary. So I mean, he knows, and if he's saying yeah. that out loud, like you don't say that unless there's like you know he's being told that's a possibility. So yeah, maybe, and then so. I, maybe. But this I has been like a topic in Norman for a long spot? time. You think they put it like say hypothetically well, he came out of the season? He's like, we're building a new one. Where do the they one, put that? So there's one thing that's like on the tables within like the municipal government is a, like a Norman arena, basically like they're doing in Waco, an off campus arena 
which would have like an entertainment venue, restaurants, bars all around it. And it'd be like right mm-hmm. off I-35. So that's a possibility is the city helps build an arena, but it would be off campus. So I'm not a huge fan of that idea. I, think I don't lo- I don't love that as idea as much. I, think I like needs- the students to be involved. Those are the, the lifeline. Yeah. Like See, the best- you need the students at games. People, a lot of time people like bringing up uh, McCasland Fieldhouse, which is OU's old gym. And it's right on campus, like right by the football stadium. And like people say like, why don't you build an arena there? There's not enough space. But if they could pull that off and put like an arena where the old field house is, that would be the ideal spot. It's right on campus. I mean, oh, you should make it. They should do what Baylor's doing, build an eight, 9,000 seat arena, you know? Yeah. Yeah. More suites, more, you know. Yeah, Baylor's new arena looks, looks badass, yeah, to be so, quite honest with you. But the thing is, this has been a discussion in Norman, like has been going on for like 30 years. It's every year this gets brought up and nothing has been done. So until it actually happens, I'm not getting my hopes up for a new basketball gym. And we, and yeah. we kind of went on a, on a rabbit hole there and that's my fault, but no Porter Moser is not the problem. Give him right. at least three years before right. you make any sort of judge, actual judgment. You can right. question in-game coaching decisions, um, but I wouldn't even take those too harshly until he actually has like personnel Offense. worth of shit. Yeah. Like you can't, it's tough to judge a coach's X's and O's until he has his guys in there. Right. So give it time. All right. <clears throat> next one from Sam. Top five non-conference matchups for next year. I assume this is college football. College football, yep. Yeah. Okay, really, you can go first on this one. Number one, OU at Nebraska. Um, game should be awesome. I think Venables is like – I think he almost, since he's the head coach, you know, he almost adds to it because he gets what that rivalry used to be. Um, Lincoln was never really around it. Venables gets it. So, you know, Nebraska is going to come ready to play. It's going to be a really, really cool game. Uh, Honestly, if I was an OU fan, that'd probably be a trip I'd try and make because it'd be a cool way to see Lincoln and the campus and, and go to a game up there. Number two, I have Alabama at Texas, the Archie Manning Bowl. Quite possibly. Um, as much as I'd say it, UT, they have a great football stadium. So it'll be sold out crowd. Should be a really, really good game. And a good test for Texas early. Third, Notre Dame at Ohio State. Just, I mean, I hate to just put Blue Bloods as my my first three. But um, now they're just really, I mean, it's just two historic teams going at it. But And it's not a neutral site thing, too. That's the other thing for me is, they're, they're playing – these are home and homes, which make it more interesting. Yeah. Four, um, they played this year, so maybe the lust was taken a little bit off. I actually have Pitt versus West Virginia. Um, no, they did this not used, play this year. Oh, they didn't? This is the first okay. one back, yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember if they did or not. I think this is, like, one of the more underrated rivalries because um, West Virginia, when they left, they really left all of their meaningful games behind when they changed the Big 12. Yeah. So it's cool that their fans and Pitt fans get to uh, – have this one back. Um, I think it's just for this year and then next year. And then I think 25, 26, they play again, but that should be a fun one. And then five, I think you, I'm obligated to always put this one on there. Army Navy is my fifth. So right. would, does that, I mean, are we counting that? I don't see yeah. how we would. No doubt. That's a non-conference game. Yeah. I like that list. That's a good list. There's a lot of good, a lot of good options um, to choose from. Uh, there's a lot of good, good slate of, of games coming up this year. So that'll be fun. So mine's uh, have some of the same as you. So number one, I've got Notre Dame at Ohio State. Like you said, not a not a neutral site game. So that's a big plus. I mean, so anytime you're playing a game at the Horseshoe or at Notre Dame, 
uh, it's a big game. And then when you add in two blue bloods like this, um, both should be top 10 preseason. So uh, that will be a lot of, a lot of fun. I think Ohio state will probably be a pretty heavy favorite being at home and being that they have so many weapons offensively, but like I said, both teams should be top 10 preseason. Two, I've got West Virginia at Pitt. If it was top five non-conference games I'm most excited for, it might be number one. Uh, yep. Like you said, old, old rivalry. They played every year from 1943 to 2011 uh, and haven't played since. They hate each that's other. A lot of, that's a lot of football games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they haven't played since. They do not like each other at all. When I was in West Virginia one year for a West Virginia football game, and they found out I was staying in Pittsburgh and had just like driven down for the day and not staying in West Virginia. They were offended. Like they're like, it's like the city people in Pittsburgh and the blue collar rural folks in West Virginia and they clash and do not like each other at all. The, and these campuses are like about an hour away from one another. Yeah. Oh, like, they are not. Yeah. I don't even not, think it's an hour. They're not far at all. It's a short, it's a short drive from Pittsburgh. Well, I had no idea the geographical. I yeah, know how West Virginia, West like Morgantown is way northwest or yeah. north part of West Virginia. Yeah, I mean that's it's a shorter drive than it is from Norman to Stillwater. I mean it's it's a a, a short one, so yeah, that's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, West Virginia fans have a fun saying, and it's just fun to say, "Eat shit pit." <laughs> yeah, like 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 nice if you're example. you know if you're in if you're in Norman and you you hear like like horns down or. or uh, F Texas chance. Like if you go to West Virginia, like I was on a game day for an Oklahoma at West Virginia game. Like you just randomly hear people break out chanting, like eat shit pit. So, I mean, it's a like rivalry. That. They hate each other. It's part of the culture. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Three Alabama at Texas. Excited to see what Sark can do against Saban. Uh, being at Texas, I think makes it more exciting. Maybe makes it more competitive than had this game been in Tuscaloosa. Another one plus for being uh, a home and home for OU at Nebraska. Last year's game was surprisingly a good one. This year, I think could be really exciting. Nebraska, if they can take that next step, um, maybe their offense improves under Casey Thompson. Then maybe uh, Scott Frost will start winning these close games. And then OU, I mean, presumably it would be understandable if they take a slight step back. Um, so I think maybe these teams are closer to each other at this point than anyone would have ever imagined a year ago. So it could be a good game. Hopefully they do it justice and make it like a night kick. Unlike that 11 a.m. atrocity in Norman. I mean, this is honoring the game the century 50 years ago. So a lot of history. This is, I mean, another great rivalry that was lost. Um, And it it would be number one if it was uh, the first year of the renewed rivalry, but being year two uh, had to put it uh, a little bit lower. And Nebraska, I mean, if Nebraska was like had any sort of pulse the last 10 years, probably this game would be a little higher. Uh, five, Georgia and Oregon, they're playing in Atlanta. Uh, two uh, good, really good programs. Uh, Georgia coming off the national championship, um, losing a lot of pieces, but, you know, will still be a definitely preseason top three, four team. Oregon, the Dan Landing era. So a lot of defensive emphasis on this one. Should be a physical football game. They'll have Bo Nix at quarterback. So, a lot of changes for both these teams. Um, but, uh, and Georgia will probably be a pretty heavily favored, uh, especially with it being in Atlanta. But still, when you get those two name brands going at it, 
uh, it's always fun. The, my honorary, my sixth choice, if I had one, like if I, uh, if it was the top six, I almost slid it in there over Georgia, Oregon, but TCU at SMU this year is going to be awesome. SMU's won the last mm-hmm. two. Sonny Dykes ditches town, heads to Fort Worth, is at TCU. SMU fans won his head. It's at SMU. Uh, the last two games uh, they've played have been at TCU due to the COVID stuff. So um, there's going to be a lot of pinup energy in Ford Stadium for that one. So just wanted to mention that because I'm super excited for that one. The I have skillet. one. I do have one more too. Now that I'm thinking about it. Let's Notre Dame at Notre Dame at USC. USC finally has a little buzz, some life in that program again. This is like growing up. Remember we talked about watching Reggie Bush and Matt Weiner. Like I, I remember loosely the Bush push. Like this game is a big, like used to be a big deal. I'm sure it still is to Notre Dame and USC fans, but nationally this game used to be a really big deal. So hopefully they're both playing good football when it rolls around. I think it's the last week of the year, rivalry week maybe, but that used to be a really marquee non-conference game. So um, maybe we get a good one this year and it kind of um, launches that back into the, the primetime slot going forward. No yeah, doubt. Two, two coaches with fresh records too in that rivalry. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally new guys. To, well, I guess Freeman has been there, but yeah, could, definitely. If Lincoln pans out at USC like most expects and Freeman uh, – is able to keep the Notre Dame standard and maybe even raise it a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could be two, those two guys in their for 30s, years to come. That could be yeah. a really fun rivalry. I hadn't thought yep. about that. All right. Last one here before we close Ryan from Dallas. This says be the DMV. So via, I assume yeah, the, just the, the, we're talking. No, 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 no. We're talking the, the greater DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Oh, all right. Shout, I was way uh, off. I was Kevin thinking he, he sent it in in a DMV chair. No, no, right. not, not in not in a government agency. <laughs> Leave that in too, Clint. You're not adding no, that I'm out. leaving it no. in. Ryan is, is, is with the he he's in Dallas, but did the the, the early grind in the DMV. All right. Yeah, that's funny. Okay. Well, Ryan's question is Mount Rushmore of group of five players since two thousand. I'll I'll start here. Um First guy I got, Keenan Reynolds. So I'm also, I'll start with this. Looking at this purely college football, I didn't look beyond college football. So purely like what they meant to the game of college football and like who kind of shaped my, a lot of these guys are guys that I watched growing up. You know, you get that ESPN Thursday night or that late night uh, TV slot, uh, slot with a lot of these guys. But Keenan Reynolds at Navy, guy was electric, should have been invited to New York. He finished fifth in the Heisman in 2015. They should have invited him. They didn't. Uh, but he finished ahead of Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott. He has a couple NCAA records, most career rushing touchdowns, not by quarterback, just in general, most career rushing touchdowns, most rush yards by QB with nearly 4,600. His Navy uh, number is retired, only the fourth ever midshipman to have that happen. The guy was just electric. I mean, every time he touched the football, uh, he was a threat to score. So quick. Uh, and I think he spent some time in the NFL as a receiver too. So guy was a ton of fun to watch. Uh, second is actually, you want to go one, one for one. I do one. You do one. Yeah. Um, my first one, Case Keenum. That guy Ooh. was fucking insane in college. I don't know what kind of, I'm sure he has every Houston record um, ever passing wise. He probably still has, he played forever. He played like six or seven years. So there's a chance he still has some some career records NCAA wise, but 
uh, he was really – I remember one year Houston was undefeated with um, someone as the head coach his last year there. And Houston came to Tulsa, went to the game, watched Case Keenum play. He was damn good. Yeah. He was awesome. I think he holds several NCAA records. Yeah, he was good. Okay. Round two here. Uh, Kellen Moore. So, former Boise State quarterback, current Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator, has the NCAA record for most wins as a starting quarterback, went 50-3, and which is – just insane. Uh, two-time whack offensive player of the year, also Mountain West offensive player of the year after they made the transition. Uh, quarterbacked an undefeated team, went 14-0, and won the Fiesta Bowl. Unfortunately, played TCU. That was still a shame that the, the BCS did that, pinned two non-Power 5 teams against each other. Uh, but they finished 14-0. and And then in 2010, he was a Heisman finalist, finishing fourth, also an O'Brien and Maxwell finalist. So, I mean, just pretty unheard of uh, accomplishments for a, for a guy playing in the Mountain West. I also had Keenan Reynolds, or I mean not Keenan Reynolds, uh, Kellen Moore. So I will change to one of my backups. Khalil Mack is my next one. Um, first team All-American. Like he, yeah, he, eh, what, he won a couple of awards in college, but dude is a fucking beast at Buffalo. You were like – I remember watching him at Buffalo the first time. You're like, how the hell, like, how does nobody pick up on this kid coming out of high school? That's how good he was. But, um, yeah, Khalil Mack, which that might that might be a little biased because of his NFL career, but I was mainly trying to think NCAA sports. But he, he was, he was a, beast. a monster. Yeah, he's a monster. Yeah, like he was – like a lot of times when the, with these elite NFL players that played smaller college football, you didn't necessarily know about him. But Mack was a guy that was like – pretty how like household name for college football fans like yeah he was a first round pick right i mean yeah, yeah. oh he's the fifth pick overall yeah i mean yeah so i mean that his last season in college football there were eyes on him for sure yeah all right my third here colt brennan former hawaii quarterback that's a great one guy has so has lots of records mo- second most career touchdown passes most career 400 yard games he had 20 400-yard games in his career that one of his offenses scored the most points ever in a season. And, I mean, he led freaking Hawaii to the Sugar Bowl. That guy, like, when I think, like, late night watching college football growing up, it's those Hawaii teams. Some of those receivers he had were just ridiculous. June Jones coaching him up. Just so much fun to watch. Okay, my third one because Colt Brennan's another great one. I'm going to go with Devontae Adams, Fresno State. Um, a lot of people don't know. It, it helps because his quarterback was Derek Carr, somebody who's been a pro bowler before. But his sophomore year, he had 131 catches for 1,700 yards and 24 touchdowns. Um, he was a stud. Like, we see it. We all see it now. He's probably the best receiver in, in the NFL. But um, – he like, I I feel like I could have gone quarterback heavy. Like Colt Brennan's another like great example of that. Like that guy was awesome to watch late nights. But um, yeah, Devonte Adams my third. I'm guilty of going quarterback heavy, and I'm going to complete the clean. It's sweep. hard not. Yeah, it's hard not to though. Right. Yeah, we're just looking at two. You were looking at a more college like holistic 
you're looking at a better way. I'm I'm a QB snob, and I'm gonna. I I might make my fourth one just a, a personal favorite though, instead of okay. anybody who actually deserves it. It's your hey, it's your Mount Rushmore. It is my Mount Rushmore. All right, my last one. This was tough. I was down to two. I was between two quarterbacks, uh, but I'm gonna go with Mackenzie Milton. Uh, I don't think he necessarily had the uh, staying power of some of these other guys where they put up, you know, three, four, just ridiculous runs. But I think he might be, or might've led the best group of five team we've seen. That central Florida team was really, really good. Like arguably playoff good. And I think he kind of, I think his impact on college football is pretty big too, because he, that UCF team, I think sparked, really sparked uh, the eventual, playoff expansion which even though we're not getting it now like it's coming like everyone knows that's coming and i feel like that debate really or that momentum for giving the group of five teams an opportunity really picked up steam after this ucf team um finished that undefeated season with a peach bowl win so i just think his overall and that team's overall impact uh, was pretty significant so and maybe a little different, might not have all the gaudy numbers and awards that some other people did, but that 2017 season for him was enormous. I mean, he threw for over 4,000 yards, ran for over 600 yards, had 45 touchdowns. So I think he had a pretty pretty big impact. So that's how I'll wrap it up. Um, I, you know, Mount Rushmore is four people. I get that. But my fourth slot, I'm going to go with Larry Fitzgerald. Ooh. Um, just a fucking beast, a Hulk of a human being at Pitt. Like, but Pitt wasn't group of five. They, they're Big East. Yeah, or Big was East that, was. They were an A. Counting that, they were. They were. Part, they were. We. Yeah. Well, then, see, my other one was going to be Tavon Austin with the argument he was Big East for three in the four no, years. But um, if we're not counting Big East, not Old Big East, just, not AQ Big East, not before the. They started disbanding. If they played after this band, then I feel like we could. Well, then fine. I'll go with Damaris Johnson, University of Tulsa. Um, guy was an electric factory at receiver, kick returner, punt returner. Was honestly, like, I think he had at one point, like, he maybe for, like, two or three years led the country in a total yards from scrimmage. He got into some legal trouble going into his last year of school, which I was, like, crushed by because it was awesome to watch. Um he ended up make, bouncing around on some practice squads, but I'm putting him up there for my personal satisfaction because I thought he was fun to watch. I like that. That was, good yeah, que- was, that was a good question. That was a good question though. Cause that's, that was, that tough. was, yeah, we could have done like a full episode purely off of fan questions. There's some, some good ones. Ed so Oliver look, came to mind for me. Yeah. As well. Ed Oliver came to mind. It's Taysom Hill. If you consider BYU like group of five. I do. Yeah, Antonio I, Brown and Corey Davis were two yeah. more receivers. Yeah, Corey Davis run. was one I almost considered. He was, yeah, that Western Michigan. He has, record. he might still have the career record for receiving yards for a college career. Yeah, I think he might. He broke his brothers who passed away. It was actually a really cool story, if I'm remembering it correctly. Wow. Something like that. But all right, well. Really good questions. We'll we'll do that again next week. These were actually from last week. I put something on Instagram, then we forgot to actually do it. Um, so next week, hopefully a few days before we record, I'll put something out. Uh, keep sending them in, sending them in because that's a lot of fun. Um, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in, giving us a listen. Uh, fun to talk, you know, college football, but also give some love to some other sports too. So we'll continue to do that throughout the 
uh, off season. As always, follow our social medias at at Fifth Year Podcast on Twitter and at the Fifth Year Podcast on Instagram. Like, rate, subscribe on Apple and on Spotify. And you know, if you want to follow our individual accounts as well, uh, we appreciate the love, and we'll be putting more and more stuff out there. Uh, hopefully with some big plans to come, uh, hoping to grow the fifth year brand um, as we uh, as we get further along this journey. So like I said, appreciate you listening and have a good week. <laughs>